Thank you very much for your warm welcome, John. It's lovely to be here again and uh, share with you. I think it was just before the pandemic the last time I was here, so um, great to see you all. Thank you also for that lovely talk to the children. Um, just reminds me that everything didn't start with a big bang. It started with a big word, and that's the difference. But uh, we're not going to, as tempting as it is, we're not going to look at that this morning. We're going to uh, look at Psalm 23. Um, when uh, I was invited to come and join you today, it was, uh, please choose a psalm. Uh, sorry if I've taken anybody else's choice away, but I love this psalm and want to share some riches from this psalm together. Well, let's read it uh, before we start to examine it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guards me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Uh, I guess this must be one of the most loved passages of scripture, whether we read it or whether we sing it. It's uh, a, a, a passage that seems to sum up the whole of David's experience of his relationship with God. It's all here. Uh, and uh, it reminds us of what this great man of God, David, King David, found in his, in his walk with God. And that's what we're going to look at and I'm sure that there's going to be something in this psalm from David's experience of God that will touch our lives. Uh, maybe more than one thing, but uh, each one of us can find something here that uh, speaks to us. So we're going to take it verse by verse and just open it up. And, oh, by the way, I've got a set of notes that uh, are on here. I've got 20 copies here. Do feel free to take more photocopies if you need them. So uh, what we'll be talking about, they're on those notes. Do help yourself at the end, please. The Lord is my shepherd. That immediately brings a sort of a question to our minds. King David was one of the great leaders of men in history. Uh, he, was, he was the greatest king of Israel. A king, really, from the line that led down to Jesus, and the model of the Lord's reign on earth, his millennial reign, is that he will sit on David's throne. So David is one of the greatest men uh, in history, and certainly the history of Israel. The question is, that comes to mind, is why, if he's such a great leader, such a powerful personality, such uh, an amazing uh, man, does he need a shepherd? I mean, you think of some of the great men, the leaders in history. I think of sort of somebody like Alexander the Great. 
these great men, even in more recent times, say Winston Churchill in the Second World War, these people that uh, are fantastic in their leadership qualities, they don't normally take any advice from anybody. You know, you don't go to a a very powerful man like some of these people and uh, say, can I give you a little bit of advice? Can I give you some help? Because you all know exactly what you'll get in reply. But here's David, as great a man as he was. And we know that because uh, he used to have some of the most ruthless men of his day who took his side and would do anything he asked them. Why does he need a shepherd? And, and so we, we instantly see this great man is saying, I need somebody to look after me. However great he was, and however many attributes he may have had. I wonder why. Well, that's an interesting point, because when we look at David, in particular his early years, we realise that the experiences he'd had in his early life, God had used to create this need for shepherding in his life. I mean, if he'd have had a charmed existence as a child, if he'd had it all his own way in his upbringing, he wouldn't have been looking for a shepherd, but it wasn't like that at all. We don't know a great deal about David's childhood, but we do know that he was rejected. For example, when Samuel came to Bethlehem, a great occasion, a, 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 a civic ceremony, and Jesse, David's father, was asked to be there with his sons. And David was the youngest of eight boys. And uh, so it was going to be a very, very important local occasion. And uh, Samuel had come to anoint the next king because Saul had really let everyone down. And uh, Samuel says, uh, as the event starts, he said, now listen, I'm going to tell you people in Bethlehem why I'm here before we have the meal together and the celebration. Jesse, I want your boys here, please. And he lined up the eldest seven who were there, from the oldest through to number seven. And uh, you'll, you'll know exactly what happened. He stood in front of the oldest one and Samuel saying in his heart, boy, this is kingly material. Fine, strapping young man. And God said to Samuel in his heart, no, that's not the one. And he did it before the first one, the second one, the third one, right down to number seven. And the Spirit speaking within, the Holy Spirit speaking within Samuel said the same thing. No, 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 it's not him. And in some confusion, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, are these all your sons? Oh, no. Well, who else is there? Oh, we got the youngest one. Well, where is he? Oh, he's out looking after the sheep. The most amazing event in that family's history, and David isn't invited there even. Just told to look after the sheep. Just after that, um, David was asked to take some food from home to three of his older brothers who were fighting in Saul's army, fighting the Philistines, not far away from the family farm. And I'm sure you know that story as well. And uh, he, he, he was told to take um, some cheese sandwiches to his, uh, his brothers. You didn't know that cheese sandwiches were in the Bible, did you? 
Well, it was rounds of bread and rounds of cheese, and that's cheese sandwiches in my book. And uh, I, I don't know whether army rations were the same in those days as they may be today, but you'd think that his brothers would be delighted to have some, some sustenance from home to add to their meagre army rations. Is that the response that David got? No. Get back to those sheep, you wicked boy. What are you doing here? I know why you're here. You're only just trying to see the, the battle. Get back home. So we're beginning to get an impression that David, the youngest of eight boys, was being put on time and time again. Listen to these words in uh, Psalm 27 verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So he's, he's a boy. Growing up as a young man with a tremendous sense of rejection. And I'm making the point quite deliberately, David makes it at the beginning of the psalm. It is tragically possible for us to bear the scars of childhood all the way through our lives. And he had a tremendous burden of rejection. And that led him all through his life to have that feeling of inadequacy, of inferiority. Oh, search me, O oh God, and know my anxious thoughts. Why am I still so depressed? Have so much anxiety, have so much fear. If we are really feeling the depths of despair, and we want to turn to Scripture, very often we'll turn to David's Psalms. Because he seems to know how to plunge the depths of the human condition. And to know exactly what rejection and alienation is all about. And he had it all through his life. One thinks of Absalom, his eldest son. Not only did he reject his dad, Absalom, but he caused his, his father to have to escape from Jerusalem in, uh, so rapidly for fear of his life. So David, although he was such a great man of God, he knew what it was to be rejected, to be sidelined, to be left out. I just want to make this practical point. For some of us, you know, it may be that childhood experiences have continued with us in life. Even as Christians, we still have the emotions that have been built into our early years. Jesus knew all about rejection. He had four brothers, natural born. And we're told in John that they did not accept his messianic status. They ridiculed him. He knew exactly what it was to be rejected. And David did as well. But with David, the Lord took those early experiences of his childhood, of his life, and weaved it into his needing a shepherd. And dear Christian friends, as we go through some of these experiences of life and as some of these things that have hurt us and done so much damage, we feel God wants to take those experiences and weave them into our relationship with him. The Lord is my shepherd. When all else fails, when even my mother and father reject me, I have Jesus. I have the Lord. Dear friend, are you feeling on your own this morning?
You're feeling that there's a tiredness, a weariness, an uncertainty. Feelings that may have dogged you for over the years. Nobody really understands, nobody really cares, nobody can really get into where we're at. The Lord does. The Lord knows. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And when we read that, the Lord is my shepherd, we realize that he's talking about a good shepherd. And the Lord comes along and says, well, David needed a shepherd because he was such an insecure man. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you ever given your life to the Lord? Are you here with the burdens of rejection and failure and inadequacy and all those other things that maybe were rooted in early life? The Lord Jesus stands here and he offers himself to you. I'm your good shepherd. I I just want you to come to me and to take me as your Lord, as your Saviour, as your guide, as the one that can transform your life and bring you rejoicing to my heavenly home. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in any need because the Lord is doing, is filling the gaps. He's making up the difference. He's putting into my life what is not there by natural development. He's adding to my need and fulfilling it. And uh, that's the person we're dealing with. But we must face none. Uh, Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And uh, the whole idea of lying down. David now picturing himself as a sheep with his shepherd. is, Is a place of rest. That's the idea behind this here. Um, The message, um, one of the modern versions of the Bible says, you have bedded me down in lush meadows. I like that. You've bedded me down. There's nothing else the sheep wants more than just to be in a place where there's plenty of food and it's easy and there's no danger and, and we feel at rest. Now that brings out something very important as well. Because there's a lovely, lovely Hebrew word for this. Shalom. Peace. (laughs) And shalom, the real inner peace, is not the peace that comes when you've got plenty of money and plenty of uh, ease and, and comfort and all the rest of it. Shalom is that peace that passes all understanding. It's not as the world gives, it's as God gives. It's that sense of being at peace, whatever the outward circumstances may be. That we're at rest in where God has put us. Be it our church, be it our family, be it our uh, work life, wherever we are. You've given me that sense of inner peace. Oh, outwardly, very often we're in circumstances that we wish we weren't in. (laughs) We can all go through that. And, uh, but inwardly, Lord, you've put me here. This is the word, this is the life you've given me. This is the place you've put me. 
And I accept it, Lord. I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the reasons. But I'm at peace. Shalom. Oh, that peace that passes all understanding. That peace that only the Lord can give. That inner shalom. I wonder if there's a dear Christian friend and you're fighting inside you against your relationships, against your job, against where you live, against some of the obstacles in your life. And yet you know that the Lord has put you there and he's not moving you on at the moment because he wants to prove to you that he can overcome in the way that he can give you that deep inner contentment, that peace. This is not a perfect world. (laughs) And even those that seem to have plenty, they seem to have more problems than the rest of us. And the Lord just wants us to be content. Oh, that wonderful contentment, that inner tranquility, that serenity, that should be the hallmark of the Christian. You know, I love Christian biography, and I'm sure you do as well. And when you think of some of the, 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 the state of mind and heart of those dear Christians that have had to face the stake and persecution, and you think, where did they get it from? Well, here David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He just brings me to a place of peace and tranquility, whatever the outward circumstances might be. The trouble is, as Christians, we very often feel that our inner spiritual state depends on our outward circumstances. No, it doesn't. It depends on our relationship with the Lord and our dependence on him. He leads me beside quiet waters. And this is where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you of what uh, the Lord says about the Holy Spirit. John 7, verses 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Lord brings us into that lovely sense of inner peace and gives us the Holy Spirit to bring those spiritual powers and qualities and abilities that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And that's what his portion is for the the sheep. Peace and contentment and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to cope with the things that he's put in your pathway. He restores my soul, verse 3. Oh, we need some restoring at the moment, don't we? Deep in our souls, in our spirits. We are spiritual people as Christians. We believe in a spiritual God. We believe in a spiritual dimension. We believe that is where creation came from. The spiritual realm brought about the physical realm. That's a, 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 a big subject on its own, but... We, uh, we, 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 we're spiritual people and we believe deep in our spirits we can be very, very upset with other people with what they say and do with society around us with the way that the country may be going 
but certainly the way the world's going at the moment. And in fact, sometimes we don't even want to watch the television or open the newspaper. It makes us feel sick in our souls of what's going on. We wonder what we're going to hear next. I don't know Neil Parrish, the MP that's just had to resign because of what he did in the House of Commons, but he comes from our part of Somerset, and he's a well-thought-of man. And I do know people who know him very well. And, uh, you know, to see people with a lot of ability and a lot of uh, responsibility, and to see this sort of thing happen, and you just think, oh, the sickness of sin, and what's going on? To say nothing on the wider scale of Vladimir Putin and so on and so forth. And it may be that we are sick in our souls this morning of what's going on in the world, what's going on around us. He restores my soul. He can show me that God is still in control, that he knows what's going on, that we're not to be surprised. He can give us that inner sense that he is still on the throne and he will remember his own. And he restores my soul. I wonder if you really are feeling the sadness, the evil of the day. And David had plenty to remind him of evil around him. But he, came to, he comes back to the Lord. He restores my soul. He gives me that sense that he knows what's going on and I can trust him to bring it all to a conclusion. Then he goes on in verse 3. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I always link that comment with a comment in the Lord's Prayer. Where it says, and lead me not into temptation. Have you ever wondered about that? You know, we say the Lord's Prayer. and Lead us not into temptation. As if God would do such a thing. You know, it's not God that leads us into temptation, it's the, it's the other guy. <laughs> and you, you, you sometimes wonder why we've got to pray that. And I see this as a circle. <clears throat> On one side of the circle, the Lord is, uh, we're saying to the Lord, lead me not into temptation. But on the other side, we're saying, and guide me in the powers of righteousness. And we were going through the Lord's Prayer in a home group one day, years ago. Uh, um, and... Um, Somebody was, a uh, dear old lady, she was asking me, she said, I can't understand why we've got to ask the Lord not to lead us into temptation. He doesn't do that, does he? And I tried to explain that you know, we're asking the Lord to give us a warning, the red light if you like, when we're nearing areas where we're vulnerable, the, the, the areas of temptation. And we're all different, but instead lead me in another direction. And this dear lady, she suddenly got quite agitated and she said, oh, I understand it now. She said, you know, there are two shops in the town that I can't just walk by. One is the Edinburgh Woolen Mill, they're shut down now, and the other is Bon Marsh. And she said, I've got to go in there. She said, and there's all these lovely, pretty little blouses and they're on offer, and they're my size, and she said, I've got to buy them. I've got a wardrobe at home full of these things, which I never wore, but I've got to go in there, and I've got to buy them. Do you think I should ask the Lord to help me to pass by on the other side of the street when I go by those shops? She's got it. That's the answer. Lead me not into temptation. Lord, you know where I'm vulnerable. You know where my temptations lie. 
Lord, please give me the nudge when I become vulnerable. What temptations we can have today? Might be things on the internet. Might be attitudes of mind towards other people. It might be areas of addiction. Lord, show us when we're getting into the danger zone. And instead, guide me in paths of righteousness. That's the other side. Did we really ask the Lord to do that in our daily life? So that we maintain that witness for the Lord at all times. Lead me not into temptation, but guide me in paths of righteousness. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, I, I don't think this is just death itself, though ultimately that, that, that will be the case. I think he's talking about the dark valleys of life, the difficulties, the places where we feel the pressure of evil and the vulnerability of our own weakness. And the Lord is saying, even when I walk through those situations, then you're with me. I will fear no evil. Do you know, in a, in a, in a way that uh, this came home to me when I first went through the Channel Tunnel. It just opened in the mid-90s. And um, my sister and brother-in-law were working in France at the time. And uh, I went to visit them and I said, no, I want to try the Channel Tunnel. I, some of you have been through it, I'm sure. 32 miles long. And uh, maximum speed through the Channel Tunnel is 100 miles an hour, but after that, the, uh, the, the, the um, trains, um, uh, particularly in France, go at 186 miles an hour. It's, 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 it's very fast. But even at 100 miles an hour, it certainly takes about 20-odd minutes to go through the Channel Tunnel. And I've heard people say, you'll never get me through there, not for all the tea in China. Uh, but there are three little lessons, and I use this as a children's talk sometimes, about the Channel Tunnel. And the first thing is this. Once you're on the train, to, well, it's St Pancras now, it used to be Waterloo, but uh, the doors are automatically locked. And we don't get a tannoy as we come towards Folkestone, going along at high speed, saying, we're going to stop the train, and if anyone's scared, they can get off now. You don't hear that. Once you're on that train, you've got to go through the tunnel, whether you like it or not. Once we're on the journey of life... We've got to go through the tunnels, whether we like it or not. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, can't avoid them. Maybe some dear Christian friend here this morning, you're going through a dark tunnel at the moment. And sometimes when we do so, we think, have I made a mistake? Have I taken the wrong turning? Have I, made, you know, have I let the Lord down? No, dear friends, don't, don't let the enemy get you at this. We all have to go through the dark times in life. And the second lesson I learned was this. You know, whatever goes on in that journey through the Channel Tunnel, there's a driver in the front of the train. He's so, so well experienced. He knows exactly what to do. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, the Lord doesn't jump off our lives when we come to the dark times. He's with us. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. He's with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
The third lesson, by the way, I just, before I go on to the modern staff, about the Channel Tunnel, there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I remember giving this as a children's talk once, a few years ago, and um, saying, you know, we come up into the light afterwards. And a dear old fellow came up to me at the end at the door and he said, um, I enjoyed your children's talk. He didn't say anything about the main sermon, but he enjoyed the children's talk. And he said, um, he said were you suggesting that France is a better place than England? You, see, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I I'd said you come up into a better place. I said, oh, I was talking about the return journey. John <laughs> uh, would know you have to be ready for anything you get the <laughs> at the door. And uh, <clears throat> there is light at the end of the tunnel. You just think of what the Lord's brought you through. Just think of the experiences we've had. And the way he's brought us through. And we look back and we think, yes, I learnt lessons. I had the experience of God's goodness. But he's brought it through. He's woven it into the tapestry of our lives to bring us closer to him. More experienced, more able to help other people. And he's blessed us. Some of the experiences in life I wouldn't want to go through again. But I thank God that I have been through them because I've learned so much. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I don't think this is the rod of correction. In Leviticus, I've got the reference here somewhere, it's in the notes. In Leviticus um, 27:32, the shepherd, he passes the sheep under the rod. And he counts them. And they are holy. In other words, it's they, uh, the, the shepherd knows the sheep as they pass under the rod. It's how the shepherd gets to know that they're all there. And that there are some that are chosen for uh, uh, other things. Your rod is that measuring which I pass under... Because you're showing me what you've done with my life and what you still want to do with my life. I'm comforted by the fact that I'm passing under your rod and I'm not in somebody else's flock. And the Lord is showing us through the rod that we're under his covering. We're under his protection. We're known by him. His name, our name is known to him. And as for the staff, well, the shepherd's staff is the one that protects the sheep, pulls them out of difficulty. But the greatest staff that we ever have is the cross of Jesus. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow in a weary land. And uh, the Lord's rod, his rod of knowledge, of measurement, of uh, ownership, and the staff of helping us are the ones that will see us through. You prepare a table before me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. And even when we're going through tough times, there's always some provision that God makes that helps us through. I remember many years ago I was doing youth work, a lot of youth work. We had a very trying time. We had two or three, uh, particularly the lads, coming to the end of their teen. They made, made professions of faith. But they were beginning to dissipate into the world and we were beginning to lose them to the things of God. 
And uh, I was really burdened. I was in secular work at the time. Big open plan office. Uh, I, I was a manager. And uh, Monday morning I was so, so discouraged by things that had happened that weekend in the fellowship. I was sitting at my desk and it was just like that. And I was thinking, how am I going to get through today? You know, if you're in a pastoral ministry, you really do feel the burdens. It, it, it really... It's, it's, it's powerful on you. And I, I was just thinking, I don't know whether I should just report off sick. I was so worried. Suddenly, as I was like this, just <laughs> trying to look at a, a, or trying to pretend I was looking at a document on the desk, but I was really praying. And suddenly I heard a voice in my ear saying, Dave, I hear you're a Christian. And it was a young lad from the drawing office that had just recently joined. And he was vacant Christian. I didn't know him at all. Uh, it's a big organisation I work for. But he'd heard that I was a Christian. Somebody, one, another one of the staff had told him, and he just came down just to fellowship. And in those moments of fellowship, just two or three minutes, when he told me about himself and his testimony and where he worships, do you know, it lifted me up. It got me through the day. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Are we looking? Are we looking for God's provision when we're going through difficult times? Have we got our eyes open? Or are we so overwhelmed with the problems and our own reactions to the problems that we're not really looking at what the Lord is saying and doing for us in the midst of the crisis? Because he's always there. He walks with us. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And the Lord is anointing us like the priests of old with a sense of his savour, of his presence, that sweetness of the Lord's presence, that people know we're different. They know that there's something about us. And that's the time of testing. Because when we're going through difficult times, when we're in the presence of the enemies, we can very often just react the same as everyone else. But it's when we actually show that we can, we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That people will say, you know, they're coping in a way that teaches us a lesson. We want to know what they've got. And my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. But I like this last bit and I'm bringing this to a close. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you know, there is so much of messianic truth throughout scripture. And that brings to mind, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you will be also. And if I go, I will come back. Jesus is coming back. I was quite encouraged this morning as I came along the... Is it the Peasden St. John bypass? There's a sign up there. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? And uh, it, it then talked about he's risen. And I thought, praise the Lord. Somebody is giving a good witness. You know, as Christians, and this is very much on my heart, we can't go back to what it was like before the pandemic. We can't just go back as if nothing had happened. The Lord is leading us on into a new era. And we're the watchmen on the wall and we've got to tell the world. 
You ain't seen anything yet. The tribulation's going to be far worse than this. We've got the pandemic. We've had that. We've got the problem in, in Ukraine now and the evil that's just flowing around that. And I think very shortly we're going to be finding an international economic crisis because of the price of oil and lack of food and so on. You know, we're still here. It's not the tribulation yet. But we're still here, and therefore grace abounds. That's why we've got the vaccinations. That's why we've got so many countries supporting Ukraine. It's because Christians are still here praying. But when we are raptured away, then that's when Jesus said, if those days of tribulation are not shortened, no flesh would survive. So what are we doing while we're here? It's the job of the church as watchmen on the wall, Ezekiel 33, (coughs) to say to the world, judgment at the end of the age is just around the corner. Are you ready? I was so pleased to see that this morning. And the Lord is saying, yes, (laughs) we're going to be safe and secure in the house of God. But we don't want anybody left behind. And while we're still here, I'll, I'll just make a further point about this. In each of the eras of human history, there's been a judgment period at the end. But it seems just before the judgment starts, there's always a warning given by grace. Noah was 120 years preaching before the flood. John the Baptist was here before the Lord's ministry. Uh, And as soon as the Lord started his ministry, John the Baptist was taken away. There was a foreshadowing. There was a forewarning. And I'm somehow thinking that's exactly where we are now. Seventy years after Israel went back into the land in 1948, we've had perhaps the most blessed time in the whole of human history, 70 years up until 2018. I mean, you remember the economic situation after the war. Remember the uh, difficulties that there were. And yet the vast development in medical science, in communications, in transport, it was only the very wealthy that could fly in an aeroplane. Now everyone does it several times a year if they can. And uh, we we, we had the breakdown of the the, um, communism. We had men on the moon. Tremendous 70 years, perhaps of of the most uh, rapid development throughout the world that we've had. Until 2018. I remember the evangelism that we used to have in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Where is it now? And, uh, and suddenly, great worldwide pandemic. Uh, and then there's the trouble in Ukraine, and that could go anywhere. Uh, and, and, and the shortages and the cost of living and so on around the world. And it just seems we may be in the foreshadowing of what's going to come later. And we're here. And we're the watchmen on the wall. And we tell the world, you haven't seen anything yet. Be ready. The day of judgment is coming. The Lord has given us years of grace after Israel went back to the land. And everything was put in its place. And now we're telling you that the church is soon going to be raptured away. And Jesus is coming back after the judgment period at the end. Flee from the judgment to come while you have the opportunity.
But for us, all, uh, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so this is David's wonderful testimony of God's grace and goodness. May we all get some encouragement from the things that he went through, the lessons he teaches us in this lovely little psalm. And may your testimony be just as sweet, just as real, as we share what God has done for us. The Lord bless you. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 649.